This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, which is, of course, the subject of today's gospel passage. And it's interesting that this is his great manifestation. Uh, the word is epiphany. And you say, I thought we just celebrated epiphany. Well, actually, the epiphany was originally all about Christ's baptism, but the wise men sort of pushed it out. <laughs> So we ended up having a separate week for it, but it really is that idea. The real epiphany is his manifestation in his baptism. Now, we have to ask ourselves a hard question. What exactly are we celebrating? Let's think about this. Matthew's Gospel that we read today, a few verses before we started, told us that the baptism was all about the confession of sin and repentance says in verse 6, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And later on, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But Jesus doesn't have any sins to confess. And his will is completely aligned with the will of the Father. He has nothing of which he needs to repent. Repentance means aligning our will with the will of God. Jesus' will is always aligned with the will of the Father. So baptism of John is about confessing our sins, about repenting, but Jesus has nothing to confess and nothing to change, nothing to repent of. So why did he come to Jesus to be baptized? A really good question, and if you're confused, you're in the best possible company. You're with John the Baptist. That's exactly John the Baptist's reaction. Remember, it says here today, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. So what's going on? And yet the church celebrates the baptism of our Lord as one of our greatest feasts. In the history of the church calendar, originally there were no feasts. In the earliest church, every Sunday was the feast of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Later, the commemoration of the Jewish Passover with Jewish Christians turned into a universal celebration of Christ as our Passover lamb, Easter. You know, we celebrate a special way his death and resurrection at Easter. So our first feast was Easter, but the very second feast was the baptism of our Lord. That's the very second feast to come into the calendar. And it's one, so it's got to be important, and it's one of our four baptismal Sundays. You know, we baptize, we know at Easter, of course, and at Pentecost and at All Saints and on the feast of the baptism of our Lord. And if we needed any further indication of how important this baptism is, look at the Gospels. All four Gospels spend much of the, the text describing the passion, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. All four. But otherwise, there are very few things that are in all four Gospels. Normally, Matthew, Mark, and Luke share most of those things, but John is coming from a different perspective. But this is in all four Gospels. The, the, the baptism of Jesus is in all four Gospels. In, con in contrast, the birth of Jesus is only two of the Gospels. So clearly, this is a really important moment. So let's ask ourselves three questions this morning. What happened at Jesus' baptism that was so important? Second, how did Christ's baptism actually change the very nature of baptism itself? And finally, it's no accident that this feast and Christmas are so close to each other 
because there's something about today that helps us understand what happened a few weeks ago. So how does the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord help us to really understand the full riches of Christmas? Okay, let's start out with our first question. What actually happened when Jesus was baptized that was so important? Well, we have an answer in today's reading we have from Acts of the Apostles, was set by the church today. It's our church lectionary to give us the actual reason. Peter tells us in Acts of the Apostles what happened. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, if you look at our collect, you know that first prayer the bishop just prayed, we prayed together with him. The collect, this is, I mean, this is sort of like a, a cheat sheet for you. If you ever want to know what is the big lesson of this Sunday, the collect gives us the lesson of the Sunday. And it says Jesus, you know, was, was, received the Holy Spirit. You know, he, he, was, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about this. First of all, what happens, uh, anointing, we think of with the kings in the Hebrew Scriptures, right? We think of Samuel was anointed, right? David, uh, rather, Samuel, rather, Saul was anointed. David, Saul, Samuel was doing the anointing. Okay, David is anointed, right? Kings are anointed. So think of it this way. Think of the Middle Ages. What happens when you're a prince who's the heir to the throne? Like the Prince of Wales, you're the heir to the throne. What happens when the king dies? The famous thing is, the king is dead. Long live the king. However, he only enters into the actual exercise of authority at his coronation. So yes, he, he's, he's the king, but he enters into the fullness of that. You know, he begins his reign on the day of his coronation. And so Christ was always, from his very conception, the anointed one of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But something happens. What happens, we're saying basically this is the time where Jesus is basically crowned. He receives the anointing as God's anointed one, his Messiah. Remember, Messiah, Mashiach is the Hebrew word for anointed. Christ is the Greek translation of that word. It simply means the anointed one. It's the day the anointed one became the anointed one and was manifest as the anointed one in the eyes of the world. We celebrate that. It's his coronation as king. Now, we might say from this point on, up for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus was living as Jesus of Nazareth. Now, we're coming into whole as his reign begins. He's now Jesus the Christ, the anointed one of God, the one promised Israel. Now, this is something we've been waiting for for a long, long time, all the way back to the book of Genesis. Remember at the very beginning, the very first chapter of Genesis, we have that the Spirit of God was hovering on the water. Why was it hovering? There was no place to land. As long as the waters covered the earth, there was no place. It had nothing to do but to hover over the waters. And because of our sin, you know, it didn't stop with Adam. It could get worse and worse to the point of Noah. We have the great flood where we're almost, almost creation is almost wiped out in the sense waters once again cover the entire earth. The earth is covered with water as at the beginning. And what happens? We have the flights of the dove. Remember, first Noah sends out a raven, but later he sends out a dove three times. What happens with the first time the dove is sent out? He goes, as the, as the Holy Spirit was over the face of the waters at creation, and he comes back. Why? Because there's no place to land. You know, the world is covered by the waters of sin and death. The holiness of God, there's no place to land. 
The second time he goes out, what happens is there's still no place to land. That's why he comes back. But he comes back with a twig in his mouth, not just any twig, an olive twig. Why is that important? It's saying we know that if we now can see the top of an olive tree, it means that the waters are going down. It might take time, but they're going down. And an olive tree is, remember, Christ is the anointed. We anoint with olive oil. That's how it's done with olive oil. It's the promise of the anointed one that somehow we see this promise. Hey, there's an anointing, olive. There's an anointing that means it's associated with the waters of sin that have covered everything are going to go down. So we might ask when he sends the dove out the third time, what happens? Well, he never mentioned in Genesis because it's the world's longest flight. Because what happens is if we're talking about it with Noah, the waters of sin and death, the waters only go down. The top of the mountain is seen on this very day with Christ in the Jordan River for the first time, the top of the mountain. Since Adam was created, there is a sinless man. A perfect sinless, for the first time, there's a place for the Holy Spirit to come down. It means we see dry land. It's the beginning of a new creation as the waters go off from the earth and everything is made new. You know, the waters are taken off of the earth, the waters of sin and death. Now, what do the scriptures exactly mean when we say that Christ is the anointed one? We did say that anointings were involved, of course, with kings. But there are other people in the Hebrew Scriptures who are also anointed. Remember, we know that sometimes prophets are anointed. Prophet Elisha is anointed. We know that, of course, priests are anointed. Aaron is anointed. We have a beautiful psalm that says it's like the oil going down over the head, over the beard, and onto the robe of Aaron. His sons are anointed. Priests are anointed. And also, third, we have, we have the kings are anointed. The prophets, priests, and kings. Now, normally, it could only be one or maybe two of those. You couldn't really combine them. Why we call Jesus not just an anointed one, why is he the anointed one? Why do we have that article? Is because with Jesus, all three anointings are combined in perfection, absolute perfection. What does that look like? When we say Jesus is, anointed, is the prophet, you know, we have the Holy Spirit descends, he is the prophet. What does a prophet normally do? Sometimes we think the prophet is someone who tells the future, and sometimes they do, by God's grace, have told the future. But the essence of prophecy is to speak God's word, to speak God's truth. That's the essence of prophecy. People who have the word of God and speak it, they speak the truth. All the prophets until through John the Baptist could speak God's word. But Jesus is himself is the word of God. He doesn't have to speak the truth. He is the truth. So that's why he is the prophet. Other prophets are a shadow of this. Normally, we can only hear a word. With Jesus, we can see the Word of God. That's why John's in his epistles says, we've seen him. You know, we've touched him. You know, we've experienced this. So Christ is not just like he is truly the epitome of all the prophets in the sense that he is the one who not only speaks God's Word, he is the living, eternally begotten Word of God in the beginning with God. And he's not just the way and the truth and the life. He's the truth. He is the truth. What about being a priest? Well, in the Old Testament, we have the priests are ones who bring, who basically go to God on behalf of the people. They enter into, like Moses would go to the tent of meeting. 
He would go up Mount Sinai to come back and communicate. Here's what God has said to us. He's basically like a back and forth. You know, how they go forward to represent us to God, like the high priest every year on the Day of Atonement going into the inner sanctuary, and then they come back out. Christ is the supreme priest because and they have to keep doing it every year as it talks about in the book of Hebrews. But with Christ, something happens. Basically, with, with Christ, once and for all, he not only enters, he doesn't simply bring, bring a membrance of us before God. He brings us ourselves directly in contact with God. He breaks down the barrier. It's no longer he goes like Moses and come back. You know, he basically, we, he brings us with him into the very presence of God. He's the bridge that connects heaven and earth. And what about Christ as the king? Now, the ancient world was a tough place, except for the famous the, the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, for about 200 years. Normally, in the ancient world, war was a way of life. It was like gang violence. Basically, what happened seriously is every, they even talk in the Bible, they say, spring, when kings go to war. Spring was war season. And you basically were always trying, well, maybe this is our year, we can get some more. You were always looking for weak spots. So war was a way of life. So the job of a king was to protect you. When enemies attacked, he would protect you, and also he maintained justice and peace. But every year brought a new challenge, like in the book of Judges. There's always a new challenge. Christ is the king who wins a definitive victory. His kingdom never ends. You know, the Messiah of Israel has an eternity. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And that kingdom has begun. So Christ is the prophet, the priest, the king. All of those combined. He's, that's why he's the anointed one. Now, he said, one of our questions is, how did Jesus change baptism itself? Remember, we, had, we started out this, uh, this morning looking at the lesson by saying, gee, why was Jesus baptized? Well, I can tell you why other people were baptized, because they went into the waters to wash away their sins. But why did Jesus go? He had no sins to wash away. Why did he go in? Jesus went in to wash the water. I mean, it's like when Jesus touches the leper, the leper becomes clean. He actually gave baptism its power. That's why John, in John's gospel, right after Jesus comes out, you know, like we sing, oh, happy day, and talk when all my sins were washed away, which is so true in our baptism, is normally you would think when Jesus have come, people have come up from baptism, you're celebrating the fact that they've left their sins behind. John does the opposite. He says, look, that Lamb of God is carrying away the sins of the world. Christ actually is the one who takes the sin. So he goes into the water to take our sins. Others go into the water to have their sins cleaned, you know, cleansed. He goes into the water to give the waters of baptism their power. That's why traditionally, you know, we celebrate the baptism of our Lord the same as the... We celebrate, we give God thanks for the gift of baptism. Just as on Holy Thursday, we thank God for the gift of the Eucharist. You know, when we remember the Last Supper, Maundy Thursday. On the baptism of the Lord, we thank the Lord that he's given us this gift. That, by the way, is the reason you might wonder, why do they put that candle in there during the blessing of the water? It's to remind us, those waters had no power until Jesus went into the waters. By going to the water, he took away the sin. He gave, you know, he gave us the power to have our sins cleansed. And not just something ongoing, forever. That's where we're baptized just once. A, you know, a, a cleansing that was forever. How does this better help us to better understand the mystery of the Incarnation that we just celebrated at Christmas. We said it's no accident that these are so close together. Well, I love it this way. In, at, at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus assumed he took on our humanity. 
This is even better. At the Epiphany, we realize, you know, the baptism of our Lord, we realize that He didn't just take out our humanity. He took on our sin. You see, Adam, you know, before he, he fell into sin, you know, he didn't just take on that, that perfect humanity. He took on not just our humanity, but our sin as well. We celebrate that, that that's what… So we understand the real reason Jesus came wasn't just to be another human being. To be the human being would take away all of our sins. We'd actually take on the burden of our sins. So we say, if we're celebrating today the gift of baptism, how do we celebrate a gift like that? Well, in a few moments, we're going to have a baptism. And the church always invites us, every time we have a baptism, to renew our own baptism. We go back to the, you know, that baptism is forever. That's, they're fountains of living, Jesus has like rivers of living water that come from us. So this is the time, how do we celebrate the, the gift of baptism? By recommitting ourselves to the fullness of our new life in Christ that we received at our baptism. We were called to be sons and daughters. This is a time to recommit ourselves to truly live as sons and daughters. We were called to share in Christ's anointing as prophet, priest, and king. This is the time to say, yes, I want to share in that anointing as your gift to the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.